You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. And we're reading from Jude, verses 8 through 13 and 16. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jill. Good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're visiting with us this evening, honored that you've chosen to worship with us. Before we uh, jump into our time in the word uh, tonight, I want to just take a moment to uh, think about something together and ultimately to pray uh, together uh, about something that's happening in our, our world. As, as you are probably aware, if you've been looking at the news over the last couple weeks, uh, Taliban forces have swallowed up Afghanistan, even now the capital city of that country. And we have seen just deeply disheartening images coming out of that country, that part of the world. Some are reporting that even pastors and, and other Christians are, are in danger, that the Taliban themselves have contacted them, saying that they are coming for them. And uh, it's just a really dire situation, and a situation in which... Um, there are a lot of things that we as Christians could do, uh, but there is always something that we should do, and it's something that we can do now together, and that's to pray. Um, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that when our prayers are joined with the prayers of the Big C Church, God moves in miraculous ways. And though the images have been disheartening this week, I am uh, convinced that uh, prayer matters. And so I would like to invite you to just bow your heads with me just for a moment as we pray uh, on behalf of, uh, of this situation in Afghanistan. Lord, we do come to you and we pray that our sovereign God would physically protect our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We ask that you would restrain evil and that you would confuse the plans of the evildoers. 
We also pray for physical provision, for visas for people to get out of the, out of the country. We pray for spiritual provision, for the Lord to strengthen those in their faith, that they would stay strong in the Lord, who is their sovereign king. And God, we ask that you would protect and even increase the faith of our brothers and sisters in the Afghan church. Uh, they don't know what today, much less tomorrow, will bring, but we pray that they can be certain that you will supply every need of theirs according to your riches in glory. God, in the midst of great uncertainty and darkness, we are boldly praying for revival. We are actually praying boldly that you would raise up another Paul. Would it, wouldn't it be like you to work in these horrible circumstances to make your great name known in that way? And while our Afghan brothers and sisters face terrible uncertainty, God, we want to be like the believers in Acts 12 who themselves faced serious threats and persecution, but without ceasing offered up earnest prayers to you. And finally, we pray, especially for the Afghans who have no choice but to stay. We pray that you would help them trust that you are mighty and that you will care for your children. And while these days are dark and tragic, we remember that you sit on your throne in the heavens. You promise to make the nations your son's heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. We pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody agree, say, amen, amen. Well, in our front yard, we have two trees. One is an apple tree and the other is a holly tree or a holly bush. It looks like a tree. It's got a big, long kind of... Uh, section here and then you know holly bush on, on top of that and over the last few years we have seen those two trees live two very different lives the apple tree when we moved into our home was pretty small it didn't produce much fruit but we noticed it was pretty healthy and as we've lived at this home over the years that apple tree has begun to grow and become even healthier and even this year this summer we're noticing really nice apples growing on the tree. You can tell by looking at the apple tree that it's in good shape. It's apple, it's fruit, is healthy and good. The holly tree is another story. Over the course of the last few years, I have found myself needing to prune more and more of dead branches off of this tree. And what I, what, what I began to notice were that not that necessarily the branches died first, but what was on the end of those branches, right? The leaves and the berries, they started to go away, and then eventually the branches start to wither, and then we cut off a branch, and we've cut off many, many branches. In fact, it's kind of half of a holly tree now. It's just sort of, if you go behind it, you'll see that the back half of it is gone. It wasn't that way a few years ago. So when you look at the apple tree in our front yard and the holly tree in the front yard, you can tell by its fruit whether that tree is healthy or not. And in our front yard, the apple tree is healthy and the holly tree is not. You can tell by looking at the fruit of those trees to see whether or not there is health or unhealth. We are in a, a series, continuing a series tonight, in the book of Jude called Detect and Declare. And we are looking at 
a very relevant word for us as Christians in this time that we live. The book, the book of Jude, is attempting to answer the question, how do you and I discern who is a true biblical teacher and who isn't? Or another way we could say that is this. If you look at the, the fruit of that teacher, is it healthy, good fruit, or is it bad and unhealthy fruit? Jude is going to continue to help us this evening to build out this framework or this grid for us on how to make that determination. He's going to help us tonight look at fruit or the lack thereof because he is wanting us to turn on our spiritual detectors, our radars. He's wanting to strengthen our discernment muscles so that we can make sure that we aren't bringing things into our lives that are against God and also to help others around us not do the same. So as we continue on this theme, and as we look at the next part of the book of Jude, I want to invite you really just to see one thing this evening, and it's this. To detect a false teacher, we must examine the fruit of their life. Let me say that again. To detect a false teacher, we must examine the fruit of their life. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to the book of Jude. should be pretty easy. It's one page in my Bible, beginning there in verse 8. Now, last week, as you're looking there, we, we said that to detect false teachers, we have to do a couple of things. And again, this was sort of the beginning of the build-out of Jude's framework or grid for us to make the determination of who is a false teacher and who isn't. The first thing that Jude said to us last week is you need to look really closely at how the false teacher or a teacher in general talks about the grace of God. And a false teacher will minimize or negate the, the grace of God by saying, doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter in your relationship with the Lord, it was a, it's a form of abusing grace, we said last week, or the, the big fancy word of licentiousness. But second, we said, and this is going to be a theme today as well, we have to look at the quality of the fruit of the teacher. And on that last point, we said that any teacher that desires to stir up suspicion about God distrust about God, to teach things spiritually in an arrogant and self-important way, or very specifically promotes or normalizes sexual immorality, you might be dealing with a false teacher. So in some ways, again, we began to build this out last week, and Jude's going to continue to do that for us this evening. So if you would look with me at verse 8, and let me just read that again for us as we jump into our passage Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And then jump down with me to verse 10. It says this, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they like. Unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Now, that's a lot. There's a lot we could look at there and unpack. In fact, that phrase, rejecting authority, is a theme that we saw last week, right, in, in, uh, in, in uh, teaching things with, a, with an arrogance or, or self-importance. They are, uh, false teachers are putting themselves in the place of where God alone uh, should be, and they're doing it in the wrong way. Uh, we see that theme again here in verse 8. But I want to hone in on another 
word that we actually see twice in verses 8 and 10 that I think is important for us to grab this evening. It's a little different uh, wrinkle as we build out this framework. What is it? What is that word? Look there. It's the word blaspheme. What does it mean to blaspheme? Well, it means to curse God or imprecate God in an unrepentant way, right? He, he says to blaspheme the glorious one. What does that mean? It means to live in such a way as to deny the truth of who and to live according to your own desires. It's to call bad that which is good, and it's different from honest doubt. Listen, we as Christians are going from time to time to struggle with real doubt. That's not what Jude is talking about here. He is talking about the kind of attitude that is a willful disobedience and and sinfulness. And to make his point, Jude does something very similar that he did last week by taking us to the Old Testament to help us understand what he means. And what he does in this instance is takes us back to the story of Cain. Look there in verse 11. If you remember the story of Cain, Cain was one of Adam and Eve's children, and he was the one who committed the first murder when he killed his brother Abel. Listen, Jude... This is not a compliment. It is not a compliment for Jude to compare uh, the false teachers to Cain here. Jude is saying something pointed. He's actually showing us another characteristic of a false teacher. And he gives us one of the strongest warnings that can be given in the Scriptures about it when he says, Woe upon these teachers that are like Cain. Anytime you see the word woe, it is a declaration of divine judgment from God. It's as strong of a, of a, of a warning that you can possibly get in the Scriptures. So how are these false teachers like Cain? One commentator said it like this, Cain believed that he could get away with whatever he liked because he believed there would be no judgment. There would be no judge. There would be no ultimate destruction for his unrepentant and wicked decisions. So the connection is this. Like Cain, these false teachers think that they can teach whatever they like and get away with it. They, they live however they want. And that life is actually cursing the reality of a God, that there is a God who rules and reigns over all creation and over all creatures. And again, the, the key is this, it is a habitual, hard-hearted, unrepentant attitude towards God. So Jude is saying that a false teacher teaches that there are no consequences to our sin. Very similar to something we said last week. So the first characteristic here is that a false teacher blasphemes God. Now, if you would look with me beginning in verse 12, Jude begins to use a series of very poetic pictures to describe more characteristics of false teachers. Again, Jude is trying to really help us out to answer this question, how do I make the determination between a false teacher and a true teacher? And he does this by giving us these really poetic, uh, artsy pictures in beginning there in verse 12. Let me just read those again for us, those word pictures. Here's what it says. It says, these are hidden wreaths at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. 
shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness served forever. Just as an aside here, if you're an aspiring artist in any way, a, a poet or a writer or a songwriter or something like that, you should love this passage. This is some of the most um, descriptive and beautiful and poetic language, though it's describing negative things that you're going to find in the scriptures. If, uh, if you need uh, any inspiration for good writing, it's right here. Jude's knocking it out of the park. All right, forward pictures. First, hidden reefs. Well, you guys know what reefs are. Reefs are these ridges of shoal or rock or coral that are beneath the surface of a body of water, but they're hidden. You, you can't see them from the surface uh, of the water. And what do, if those reefs, if they're up high enough, do to a ship? They sink them, right? They knock holes in them and water comes into the ship and the ship sinks. You don't want to be near those kinds of reefs. So what is Jude indicating about false teachers? He's saying things may seem fine on the surface of a false teacher. They may be nice people, at least seemingly nice and even winsome, but underneath the surface, they are dangerous. But notice what Jude says about them, because you might say, well, Brett, how, how am I supposed to know something that's hidden? That's a good question. How am I supposed to know that someone is dangerous if I can't discern that if they're in authority over me or they're teaching something and they seem to be like a good person, seem like they, they're nice? Notice what Jude says about them. He tries to help us out here. He says, they are hidden reefs at your love feasts. Now, a love feast, some people called them agape feasts, were these fellowship meals eaten together by Christians in the early church. It was this really beautiful, special time of being together as a church family, and many times it included communion together. And Jude says that these false teachers are dangerous because they are infiltrating these gatherings that are intended to be for mutual encouragement and support and bringing disunity and strife to the body of Christ. How are they bringing that? Jude goes on to say that they are feasting without fear. They are feeding themselves. In the New American Standard, it says that they are only caring for themselves. So it, it means that one of the indicators that you're coming up against a hidden reef as a false teacher is that you begin to notice that they are self-serving. They are only caring of themselves. They don't have a conscience. They don't have conviction. There, as Peter says, uh, their conscience is seared with a hot iron. And so you, in this love feast, the idea was that you would be together and you would care for each other in this setting. You sat around, you talked, you had good food, and you cared for one another by, by supporting one another. If somebody needed support, if someone was confused about something or needed spiritual direction, you encouraged them or you instructed them. And, and Jude is saying that these false teachers are embedding themselves in that faith community and doing the exact opposite of this. So the indicator is that, yes, it may be difficult, to determine this, but if you begin to notice as a characteristic 
that this particular teacher is constantly talking about themselves, caring only for themselves, making sure they get what they want. They have no concern for anybody else. Again, you might be dealing with a false teacher. But Jude goes on. He says that false teachers are clouds without water. What does that mean? Well, they look full, but the rain never comes. In other words, they promise things, but they don't deliver. They are deceivers, right? They are not what they seem to be. He also says that they are trees without fruit. They are dead and they are uprooted. The fruit of the Spirit is not in their lives. So that's actually another helpful grid that you can lay over a teacher is to say, does their life exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? He says that they are absolutely empty of spiritual life because they are dead and uprooted. He, he says that they are wild waves of the sea casting foam upon their shame. What, what Judah's talking about here is, you know, when there is a massive storm in the sea, the morning after the storm, if you look at the shore, it's just littered with all kinds of things that have no value. And he's saying that's what false teachers do. They stir up a lot of stuff, a lot of things, but in the end, there's nothing to be said for it. It's meaningless. It's valueless. Lastly, he says they are wandering stars. In other words, stars typically have a precise orbit. But he's saying that if you notice... Uh, a, 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 a false teacher who seems to be constantly wavering. They are uh, a flash across the sky, like they have great charisma and charm, but they then disappear. You might be dealing with a false teacher. So again, hidden reefs, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, meaningless foam, wandering stars. This is Additional help from our brother Jude trying to help us understand how to discern who is a false teacher and who isn't. This imagery is so vivid, right? The, the analogies are symbolic of false teachers. I think Jude does such a great job of these. I, I'm not going to be able to get these images out of my head. I think that's part of his point. It's meant to help strengthen our discernment muscles. So again, what, are the, what does the imagery indicate? Well, hidden reefs are dangerous. Waterless clouds are deceitful. Fruitless trees are dead. Meaningless foam is dispensable. To be done, you can be do without them. And wandering stars are duds. This is Jude's attempt to help build out this grid we need for discerning false teachers. So we need to add all of that to last week's ideas. And here's the... For the thing that I want to invite you to see this evening, just the one thing. To detect a false teacher, we must examine the fruit of their life. Now, we absolutely must detect whether a false teacher is teaching false doctrine. But I think in this particular part of our passage here, a book in Jude, I think Jude is wanting us to zero in on what is the fruit of their life look like. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus warns against false teachers as well, and he says exactly nothing about doctrine. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about it, doesn't care about the content of 
the teaching that, that you and I should have. But what, what does he say? He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. These qualities that we're talking about today, the qualities that we talked about last week in many ways are uh, an, another way to explain what sheep's clothing are. Jesus goes on to say this, you will recognize them by their what? Fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Like Jude, Jesus is providing a test for us to determine who is a false prophet, who's a false teacher. And Jesus' test is that you would know a false teacher by their fruit. So how do we do that? If the fruit of a minister's life is bad, Jesus tells us that he might be a wolf, not a shepherd. The fact is that the New Testament shows two distinct and not unrelated ways of identifying a prophet or a teacher as false. The first does have to do with their message, and the second has to do with their life. The second idea, I believe, is what Jude is driving home with us in these word pictures today. So how do we apply this in our time? It's probably no mystery to you that uh, in the evangelical church, which we're a part of over the last few years, we have had no shortage of scandal. At every turn, it seems like there's a new one. Or we're unpacking the old scandal or one that, that has happened a few years ago. Well. Friends, true shepherds are marked by right doctrine, but they're also marked by the presence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. It must be both. And we should both apply the same rigor and evaluate right living as much as we do right doctrine. Both things matter. That's why Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching, right? Tragically, Many people, and I'm grieved by this deeply, many people have been lost from the faith because of the wicked behavior of some pastors, leaders. And that absolutely includes scandals of sexual immorality, but, but friends, it extends beyond that. So we should, it is right and good for us to subject our leaders and teachers to both tests. You should subject your leaders here at Mercy View to both tests. Evangelicals have all too often prioritized the doctrinal test at the expense of the character test. But character and doctrine are not mutually exclusive. And Here's something else we have to face up to. It's a lot easier to label someone outside of our theological tribe as a false teacher because of their doctrine than it is to label someone inside our tribe as a false teacher because of their conduct. And that is not right. 
Jesus is clear. Jude is clear. You will know a false prophet by the fruit of their lives. It's Jude's criterion. It's Jesus's criterion, and it should be ours as well. Friends, the world is watching. Churches are hemorrhaging with the converts that they once described as being faithful. These are coming from places where supposedly there was fruit from successful ministries. When unchristlike leaders are elevated and platformed and allowed to continue in ministry, people are hurt. And many lose their faith. And unfortunately, and again, this deep, grieves me deeply, this is the true legacy of all too many, quote, successful ministries and churches. This is serious stuff. So we do need to care about this. We need to contend for the faith. Um, it is, in a sense, a war. How we do that's important, but we need to be armed and ready with discernment and perception and understanding and wisdom. The, the, the faith depends on it. Now look, God can do whatever he wants. He's bigger and more powerful than any failing of any one leader. I get that. But we should have our eyes fixed on Jesus and his words, Jude's words here. So that we can recognize when there is a teacher or a leader that is out of step with the gospel in a habitual and unrepentant way. And I want to close here. At the same time that we think about all of this, it's very easy for that to be the only thing that we recognize. And if so, we have a propensity to the prism to be negative, completely negative. But friends, the Lord is up to some really good, good things in the church. I thank God for the true shepherds, the true teachers, the true preachers, the true believers who are here at Mercy View, who are in the larger Big C church. And our goal should be to stand with them on the truth of the gospel, both doctrinally and in a life lived out loud for the gospel. Friends, nothing is more important than that truth. It is by it that we are saved and we are sanctified and given the hope of glory. And if you're here this evening and you would say, man, I, I want to be saved from my sin. I want to begin to grow in my relationship with the Lord. I want the hope of glory. The good news of the gospel is the bad, the bad stuff that happens even in churches doesn't have to be true of your experience of the church. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus and we can begin to journey together uh, looking at our doctrine, looking at our lives in a, in, a, in a setting like this, in a community like this. We'll do that together so that as we continue to journey forward with boldness and with courage, understanding what's at stake, we may be a part of those who are gathering others into this kingdom in which the Lord is glorified and honored in that work. I thank God for the good things that he's doing in the life of Mercy View. And I believe the future is bright. So let's join together in this boldness and this courage, but this discernment as well, that we may be a light, a city on a hill, not only in our city, but in other places the Lord would give us the privilege to spread the gospel in. Let's pray together.